This is your boy, Thugnificent from the Boondocks. Breathe it in, nigga. Bask in it. That's right. I ain't working at UPS no more, nigga. I'm back on the block slinging that shit, nigga. And you watching Real Ninja Reviews. You smell me? What's good, y'all? It's your boy, Sean Two Stacks for Real Ninja Reviews. And I'm here with a childhood favorite, Carl Jones. What's good, man? What's good? What's good? Oh, man, it's an honor and pleasure to have you here, man. Um, it's just wild to put a a face in, a, in your whole self here with <laughs> growing up watching Boondocks, man, seeing your name on there, Black Dynamite, all that, man. Like, true fans sitting over here, man. Oh, man. For thank real. You. Thank you. I'm honored, bro. Oh, man. So how you enjoying DreamCon so far? It's amazing, man. I mean, you know, seeing this many black nerds come together yeah. in one place is overwhelming, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, I mean, these guys, what they put together is just, I, I feel like, and I know this is just the beginning. So like just thinking about what this has the potential of becoming like five, 10 years right. down the road, man, like I could see this being much larger than even Comic-Con in San Diego, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So it's exciting. It's crazy. Cause you sound like me and my, me and my boys, when we first got here, we were just looking around like, Man, what is this? Yeah. So it's understandable. Um I know Austin has never seen this many black people in their city before. Oh, <laughs> uh, nah, man. Because I know I was walking around here. I was seeing a lot of people look like. Yeah. <laughs> even even some of the homeless people was looking like that. Like, oh, bro, what's going on? Yeah. Um. So I wanted to ask you, what was it like um, going from boondocks to black dynamite? Um. Well, you know, I, I, for every show that I work on, I try to, you know, bring whatever tools or knowledge that I learned from the last show to that one. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm right. always, I'm a student. Right. Even to this day, I'm always learning more and more. I'm, I'm, so I'm a sponge. So when I was on the boondocks, I soaked up and absorbed a lot from Aaron Magruder, you know, um, being around him and, you know, you know, cause we, we worked on the comic strip together too. That was, he, you know, he hired me to first work on the strip. Right. And then I moved over to the show, but I just, you know, all, everything that I learned from that show, you know, I try to apply it on, on, on Black Dynamite, you know, um, but each show is still very different, right? So every, it's not like a one size fits all kind of situation. Yeah. You got to adapt. So you try to take all everything that you've learned from the last thing, but then you got to morph it into something new, you know, right. meaning like, you know, whatever formula that you that you have, you got to, you know, you might have to uh, revise it a little bit in order for it to suit the needs of that particular production. Not even so much as on the creative side, but just like on the production side, you know what I mean? Because right. you'll be working with a new animation studio, you know, new production team. So you got to find a rhythm um, for, on the creative side. You know, I just try to make the show as honest as possible. You know right. what I'm saying? Like the comedy, like the comedy, not to say the comedy is the easy part because it's not, you know, <laughs> all of it is hard. <laughs> but, you know, making sure that there's like a morsel of truth in every joke or at yeah. least the premise. You know what I'm saying? For example, like the Richard Pryor episode, you know, uh, you know, I was inspired by like a real, a real event, yeah. you know, um, there was actually a situation where Richard Pryor was at, a, he threw a party with all these Holly, black Hollywood elites and all his friends he invited there. And he, this is what I heard anyway. Okay. So he announced that he wanted to 
basically start his own studio. I think it was called Indigo. Um, and he basically wanted to like create this like black Hollywood empire. And, every, and when he announced this at the party, everybody just started laughing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, no, I'm serious. And he, you know, he started laughing. And, and I just thought to myself, well, what, what if Richard Pryor never meant to be laughed at? What if he wanted to be like Malcolm X? Yeah. Cause he's such a, he was a, he was a truth teller. You know what I'm saying? So like I would take like a, a morsel of truth like that and figure out like a flip on it, you know, um, in the black dynamite universe and right. seeing how that would, but we would do, that's the same thing. It's kind of a similar thing that we would do with boondocks, you know, like, you know, we would see something that's happening in the world, you know, like the, like the, you know, like the teacher that was using the N word, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. do our flip on it. And, you know what I mean? Like, so, it's, so those, those kind of things, I think just kind of from a creative standpoint, it's a somewhat of a little bit of a formula, you know? And it's wild you say that because a lot of those, a lot of those instances that happened in the world, a lot of people didn't even know nothing about them until they got on boondocks. Yeah. It pretty much brought a lot of attention to those things and their research after the show go up. Like, hold on, is this real? Um, yeah. It's wild. Um, Black Dynamite is like a favorite of us at our podcast, like the movie, the show. And while we own that, I got to ask just three questions about right. that. <laughs> the, uh, the crackhead's delight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did that come about? Um, you know, it's funny. Let me, let me just tell you this real quick. So, so it was, it was so it's a base head, right? Right. But he started out as a crackhead, and so we, so Charlie Murphy was on the show, right? right. I'm sure you know. Yeah. So he came in to record the very first episode that he recorded, and we had a scene with him, his character, and 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 this crackhead, right? Mm-hmm. And he, I'll never forget. He was like, he was like, "Hey, man, I can't do this scene, man. It ain't right." I was like, "What's I- up?" He was like, wasn't no crackheads in the 70s, man. <laughs> he said, they was base heads. He said, I know, because I used to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, we're going to change the change the base head. So right. we changed, you know what I mean? And, um, but I wrote that song, you know what I mean? And it, it was it was really, really hard. <laughs> So I listened to, I listened to, yo, I listened to Rapper's Delight over and over and over and over again. And it, it took a while, bro. And actually the song is longer, but we had to cut it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For the show. But, um, but Orlando Jones yeah. played the, played bass head. He, man, he killed it. He killed it. And he was sweating in the booth, man. It, <laughs> it took, a, it took a few takes, but he, but he killed it. Oh, man. Oh, okay. One more. No, no. Two more. It was when they when Black Dynamite was was he scared of swimming? Yes. And had to think James? Yes. Okay. And Honey Bee. The show is so stupid. It is, it is. And it's like it's etched into my brain like uh when uh like the Bo Derrick scene. Yeah. And they just like, why bitch? Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where where uh, where did that inspiration come from? Well, that idea kind of came from, um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where like, let's say Kim Kardashian for a sec, for example, right? right? Like everybody makes a big deal out of her ass being big. Mm -hmm. That's like the average black woman walking around. You know what I mean? So it's, so it's funny. It was always funny to me to see people react that way. You know, when when a white girl does something that black woman's already been doing for years and it's, you know what I mean? So it was kind of, you know, it was a, it was a satire. Like, so it was like, like showing honeybee, you know, you know, you know what I mean? 
you know, with the same braids or whatever, but the white girl does it, and now it's like a they saw deal. a unicorn. A big deal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's, it's so wild, like, because, like, the fact that y'all thought about that and incorporated into the show, because, like, it's a lot of things that we think about on the day-to-day, but just, like, common stuff. So, Martian Blueberry. Yes. Okay, so... It's a it's like an IP it's like an IP hub not an IP but like a hub for black creators right yeah basically um, you know it started out as a full service animation studio um, um, that we launched during the pandemic actually at the beginning of the pandemic uh, and it was right around the time that I finished up on Last OG and I thought I was going to start doing more live action stuff but yeah. you know once the pandemic hit. You know, a lot of people were, were demanding animation, you know what I mean? Cause it yeah. was, it was pandemic proof, you know, Hollywood shut down all the, the, um, the live action sets and, you know, so, you know, we got to work and, and, um, so the, but the inspiration behind, I've all, this is something I've always wanted to do, yeah. right? Um, this just presented the great, the, the best moment in time to do it, but, there was always a problem in translating our culture and animation. No matter what animation studio I work with, I've been in the game for about 18 years. And every studio that I work with domestically from to Korea to Japan, it was still really hard to get them to understand, you know, some of our cultural nuances. Yeah. Right. Um, so. So because of that, I knew that this was a need that needed to be fulfilled. You know, I figured there were other studios or creatives that were also running into the same problems that we had. You know, a lot of people don't know for the boondocks, I used to act out every, like every single scene and we have to, we have to film it and send right. it, send it to the artists so they could understand how we move and walk and talk, even down to like the fashion and the, you know, our features and stuff. Like we sent tons and tons and tons of reference, right? So it, it ended up, ta- it ended up taking a lot of time and re- Resources and sometimes we would go over budget because we'd have to revise boards and yeah. character designs over and over and over again. So, um, so Martian Blueberry, uh, which is actually another way of saying strange fruit, um, is uh, a, a yeah, it's a full service animation studio plus creative agency, right? And, and the creative agency side um, really just does explore the idea of you know creating original IP. And exploring many different verticals because it's a multi-vertical creative agency. So we not only focus on animation, <clears throat> we also focus on comics, you know, um, graphic novels, right. um, collectibles, um, Web3, NFTs, uh, yeah. gaming. You know what I'm saying? So, we, we, you know, so there's many different arms, you know, to, to, the, to this company. And uh, so we partnered. We're, well, we're in the process of building those arms out now. So we're, we're still in the beginning stages of, of, of launching it. But, um, but we have some really, really strong partners that we work with in those different verticals that can help us, you know, um, explore, you know, exploit these other these, these IPs that we're that we're creating. That's dope. I got something got a hand in a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask you a question about gaming because not just animation, TV shows and stuff like that. Gaming is big because like representation in games of people of color don't be always good. Yeah. Even with the voice acting. So true. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so you said you've been in the game 18 years, right? Yeah. Okay. With that, with that being said, 
how would you say then when you first started till now, say you're OG now. Yeah. So <laughs> what's the parallels from then and now with technology and things we have with creating with creating shows, yeah, animation, things like that. You know, it, it's you know what what's I, so I do I think that I love technology, right? And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things that have been made easier to do, you know. Right. But what is unfortunate is a lot of animators that are coming out of school now are um, not being trained thoroughly to do traditional 2D animation. Um, not to say they're not being trained at all, but because of programs like Harmony and, you know, some people even still use Flash and there's other, there's other programs that are more or less, you know, 2D, um, digital, uh, um, applications, right? right? Um, so they're, so they're more, they're more puppeting the characters, you know what I'm saying? And, and creating paths for the characters to move versus actually having to animate them, you know, in a traditional 2D right. hand-drawn way. And so, um, I personally still, when it comes to 2D, I, I personally still love, you know, like traditional hand-drawn animation. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot harder to find artists that know how to do that. You know, um, I had a show at Cartoon Network at one time and, uh, I was, I was actually, uh, I had, Joe Murray, who was the creator of Rocco's Modern Life, he, yeah. he did the storyboards for this pilot. And, um, when I showed it to Cartoon Network, they were like, we don't have any guys that can animate this. Like, what? you know, like we had to go find some, you know, people from, you know, from back when, like the, the early nineties or mid nineties, right. you know, but that's when, you know, you had like the cow and chickens and mm-hmm. the, you know what I'm saying? Um, Johnny Bravo's and the, you know what I mean? Like, but those are those, like those to me, like I still love those like cartoon, cartoony cartoons, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I, that's the only downside or the, the, you know, I, I, it's not cause it's not even necessarily a downside because the upside is you, you are able to, you know, do things, I guess a lot faster and a lot more efficiently, but I think there's a certain magic that's lost, you know? Yeah. Um, with that being said, Cartoon Network, man. Cartoon Network. Yeah. So they closed down Cartoon Network Studios, right? Yeah. Was that, was that part of the beginning of your career or like a little bit after? Um, yes and, and, and no, meaning that, you know, I started out with Adult Swim, which is a part of Cartoon Network. Right. But, um, but Adult Swim falls under William William Street, which is in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, same family. Right. You know what I mean? Just a different branch from the tree. But uh, so I wasn't. I I didn't really. Wor- I, I worked at Cartoon Network at the actual studio in Burbank mm-hmm. for Black Dynamite season two. Okay. Right. So and that was it was really dope because that's like you know that that place is like a sacred place. You know what right. I mean? Like all the greats came through there. You know, Dwayne McDuffie, who, you know, I got to give a shout out to because he inspired a lot of black animators and right. artists and writers, creatives. But there was a lot of people that came through there, man. You know, Gindy and, yeah. you know, all the legends and stuff. So, so it was, it was for me to even be in that building. I was just like, you know what I mean? Like I was just honored to be there. And so to see that it's coming to an end like this, man, like it's, it's, uh, that's, that's pretty emotional, man. And, and I met a lot of great people there too, you know, um, that, that worked on my show and other shows, you know. How was it like, uh, work with, did you work with, uh, Mike Lazo? Oh yeah. 
Mike Lazo, yeah, that's, I mean, Mike Lazo, Mike, so Mike Lazo, you know, he was the head of Adult Swim and he, he really, really, uh, man, I, to me, he, he was a visionary and a one of a kind, um, mind. Like, you know, this guy, like, he's just, he's just amazing. I mean, if you think about all these other networks, right? Like, no one's really had the kind of success that Adult Swim has had, you know, meaning like, Adult Swim has captured or t- or touched culture, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways. You know, there's networks that have produced some cool shows, but Adult Swim, they really ta- they were tapped into the culture and the zeitgeist of you know where yeah. the world was. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And, and so Mike Lazo, I think he was a big he was a big reason why that happened because he really let the creatives do them. You know what I'm saying? And cause I always tell people like there's like, how do you, how do you, how do you pitch Aqua Teen Hunger Force as a TV show to any other network outside of Adult Swim? You know, like, like there's a, there's a a milkshake. That's a tough pitch. (laughs) Right. There's a milkshake, a French fry and a wad of meat that lived next door to a guy named Carl. It's like, how do you, how do you sell that show to like, Fox or whatever, right? So I look at you crazy. Yeah. So like, so Lazo, you know, you know, I mean, he's like I said, he, he's he's the truth, bro. And a lot of I found later when you know he used to, uh, he would tell me that you know other network executives would, you know, he would talk to them or, or consult with them just so that they understand his formula and how he has the success that he has for that eighteen and thirty. Actually, it was I think it was eighteen and thirty, uh, eighteen and thirty. Two, I think was the was a demographic that that was their sweet spot, mm-hmm. but but you know even but when when we did the Boondocks, we even actually opened up that more because we actually brought in a female demographic that they didn't even have before, you know because um it was it was it was eighteen to thirty four male that was the the demo, but then it kind of you know expanded a little bit, but he was but he but that was on the weekends eighteen to thirty four he they had it on lock, you know what I'm saying. And yeah, that's that's a and that place I, I could go on forever and ever and talk about them because like that's they're like family to me, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And it was like a family, you know, really, really tight knit. I think as the network began to get bigger and, you know, Turner started to kind of get their hands a little bit more mm-hmm. into the in, into what they're doing and started to become a little bit more corporate, you know, and then with the merger of Discovery, the whole thing has happened with, with Warner. It's it's now a different thing than it was yeah. back when I was there, but um, but Mike Lazo is, is man, like that's, I, I owe him everything cause, you know, he, he gave me an opportunity, um, not just with, with the, with the boondocks, but, um, you know, with Black Dynamite, with Freak Nick the musical, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean, he, <laughs> I, I don't even know if we could have did Freak Nick anywhere else other than the Dole Swim. That's the one where it had Rick Ross as the big dude in there and Charlie Murphy in there, right? Yeah, Charlie Murphy, or, um, I mean, bro, we had Lil Wayne, Snoop. That was an all-star cast right there. Yeah, George Clinton, uh, Bootsy Collins, I mean, like, I mean, it was crazy. We had so many people in it. Man. So, uh, I know this is a tough time, so, the strike, the writer's strike. How has that, how has that affected you? Um, I mean, I, I'm affected by it because everyone else is affected by it. You know, like, I don't want to see people not be treated fairly and right. not be paid for, you know, the work that they do. And, and, you know, the reality is, you know what I'm saying? There is no Hollywood without the creative. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it, it's one of those things, man, where I have mixed feelings about it. 
meaning I hate that it's happening, right? Because I don't think it's right. But I also, I don't know, I relish in the fact that it is happening because I feel like it's going to push us to a point where we find another way. You know what I mean? Because anytime we're dealt with extreme adversity, just as human beings, specifically black people, when we push them to a corner, we get very creative and we find new solutions and we become innovative. You know what I mean? And that's where the best innovations come from. It comes out of chaos or it comes out of, out of hardship. It comes out of, you know what I'm saying? Dealing, dealing with, you know, it's, it, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think our, we, we thrive, unfortunately, like I'm talking about creatively, we thrive in the worst circumstances. Right. <laughs> you know, that's right. when you see the best artwork coming out. I think the, the example, uh, you know, it's like the, what they call it, the rose that grows from the concrete, right? Yeah. Like it, it, it's going to find a way. So, so look, they can, they can continue. I mean, you heard in the trades, one of the uh, studio execs said they're going to put, they're going to keep this strike going until, Writers lose their homes and, and get evicted from their homes and stuff like that. Like what kind of mindset is that to have? Like, well, it, it's a mindset that people need to understand is, is, is real, you wow. know, because th- now, now that the, now that the, the, what do you call it? The, uh, the veil is lifted, mm-hmm. right? And we're dealing with the truth and the yeah. reality of it. Now, you know, we need to make a, we need to make, make some real hard decisions and choices about where, where we want to go with this and how we can work together, you know, cause I, you know, yeah, cause I, but I, I, I do, I do feel like it's going to get resolved at some point. Um, I don't know if it's going to, I don't think it's going to, I don't think they're going to meet the demands of the WGA. Um, maybe, maybe SAG, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but even still, even if they, even if they meet us halfway or a quarter of the way, you know, we should still be figuring out a new way <laughs> to create and distribute. Our content so that we have options, not to right. say fuck Hollywood, because I'm not saying that. Because I, no. I think, I think, I think Hollywood serves a, a, a it's a, it's a great partnership. Right. You know what I'm saying? If there's a more equitable framework, it's a great partnership. It works perfectly if, if everyone plays fair. But if they're not playing fair, we need to have options. Right. You know, when we don't have options and they got a monopoly on distribution, then we don't have a choice and we get abused. You know what I'm saying? So. And I think, me personally, I think like quarantine played a part in that because, and like in a like in the panel, you said quarantine is popping out content, 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 content. Now to the point where some of the content is not that good, or even people just tired of seeing certain things, and it's not even spent all this money, and they like, oh, we gonna play the cut, we gonna have to. Yeah. Get at y'all writer. So I hope it get resolved soon. Me personally, because like I'm a fan of other people's work. The longer it goes on, the longer we got to wait to see that work. Yeah. Well, well, here's the, the bigger problem, right? Yeah. The bigger problem. And I spoke about it a little bit yesterday, but the bigger problem is every all the streaming platforms are facing what they call an attention recession. Right. Right. They 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 don't have the eyeballs, you know what I'm saying? And the advertising dollars aren't aren't there because it's streaming platforms, so they're subscription based, right? And although the subscribe the subscriber rate is moving up, mm-hmm. the amount of people actually watching the platform is going down, right? right? So they are trying to so in the, in in any corp most corporations they think like this. 
right? Oh, we are competing against these other streamers. So we need to have more content than they do. Right. Right. So everybody just went on a spending spree and started creating as much content as they can to compete with the next streamer. Right. But you know what they forgot about? The people that are watching it. Right. So they, and that was, when you, when you're creating anything, right, you're creating, you're creating something that, that touches the hearts and the lives of people, right. right? That's what real art does. But when you take your focus off of the people and you don't care about the people you're making it for, and you're only thinking about bottom lines and numbers and metrics and money and, and who your competitors are, yeah. then, 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 then you lose the audience. And now that you've lost the audience, right, they don't know how to get them back. So you see these attempts, you know, I mean, because you do have all these social media platforms that 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 are monetizing our data and our information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or selling it to law, to corporations so that they can find ways to get that engagement. Yeah. But by time they process those analytics and those numbers and those metrics, and they come up with ways to create that engagement, the culture shifts into something else. Right. Right. Because the culture is is moving, it's morphing, it's changing, and 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 as we feed it, it develops into into its. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like you it's you 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 can't really you you can't that's like that's like that's why when people try on social media and they'll try to make something go they'll try to create something to go viral, yeah. it doesn't necessarily it doesn't usually work. Right. It has to kinda happen organically. Yeah. It happens naturally even when you least expect it because you know what I mean? Yeah, because when it's forced is you can see right through that. Exactly. But so it's not so I think I think I think that they have a bigger issue, right? Where they have to really, really you know, they have to, I, I, I'll just say the, the, the way that Hollywood is set up right now, the way the entertainment sector is set up right now, the whole thing has to be reassembled from the ground up. If you truly want to, you know, find a way to integrate it into where, where the culture is moving today, you know, and that, and part of that means creating a more equitable, you know, system for the creatives and the people that are the, basically the blood of the entire industry you know what right. i'm saying and on that note let me ask you what you're currently working on now um i can't be too specific but um i have some stuff in development okay. uh, you know um martian blueberry is is um we we, we got a few pro- hey, i'm trying to see what i can say i i'm i'm, I'm developing some stuff with um with meg the stallion mm-hmm. um developing some stuff with Tracy Morgan. Okay. And um Trippy Red. Oh man. You know, um you know, a few 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 people, you know. Oh, and and Super Duper Kyle. Yes. And we had a panel the other day and we actually premiered like a, a, a short sizzle for Karaku. Yeah. Um which is which is Kyle's brainchild. Was, yeah. I was trying to get in there, it was not happening. <laughs> oh <laughs> man. The lines here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even with a press pass, it was hard again, so Gotcha. Oh man, it's been a pleasure, man. Oh man, it's been my pleasure, bro. This is dope. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir.